Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, yes, a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening to you, however you may be listening, and wherever you may be listening. This is the Man on the Post podcast, coming to you on an incredibly warm, and it must be said, an incredibly lovely evening here in England. Um, but for some reason, we've decided to uh, stick ourselves inside in a uh, in a, uh, in a room, in a bedroom somewhere, talking about football, because that's what we love to do. Stuff going outside when we can talk about football. I mean, we could do it outside, but... Technology means that we can't. We Wind can't. resistance. Exactly, uh, yeah. 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 Logistics there and bugs be, in the air. Exactly, you don't want to have a bee landing yeah. on the dictaphone yeah. and just all you see is buzzing. Yeah. What's it, what sort of podcast needs factor 50? You don't want to exactly. do that, yeah. Okay, the voice you've just heard is one of our occasional guests. We couldn't get the three uh, regulars on. Well, we got some of the uh, three regulars on for some reason. Uh, Colin couldn't be worse tonight, neither could Andy. So stepping off the substitute's bench, as he's done in the past, and we're very grateful to have him, is... Uh, what is it? What's your thing? A uh, hero to the uh, Gallagher end, an inconsistent liar. liar, Marcus Shearer. Marcus, good evening to you. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you forgot my name then. The point of that. What's your name? No, uh, it's your Twitter bio. Uh, is what I was on about. Oh, um, uh, Milk Guzzler, Iron, pa- Iron Paradise enthusiast, um, savior of Gotham. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah, of nonsense, nonsense in there. Yeah, and rubbish. But you make it up for it with the inconsistent liar. Yeah, that's so it's someone it, yeah. right. And making his usual appearance uh, all the way from across the North Sea in the Netherlands. I think it's in Amsterdam, but we'll just take a guess at the city and hope it's right. It's the only Dutch city I know. It's James. How are you tonight, James? Good afternoon, fellas. And yes, uh, yes, just to confirm it, I am based in Amsterdam. It is in Amsterdam. Good. I was going to say, if you are based somewhere, like, I was like, is 20 a place? I just know that's a team. I don't know if it's a place. Eindhoven? Eindhoven, yeah. Just riffing yeah. up. Hope, <laughs> you know, fo- exactly. Football games are just hoping <laughs> they stick. Yeah, just to give the listeners a heads up to that, to those observations, uh, Feyenoord are based in Rotterdam. So Feyenoord's not a place. Okay. <laughs> Twenty are based in, uh, based in a place called Enschede. So twenty is not a place. Courses is a I know those courses a famous city here. Yeah, okay, so, okay. so I got like, okay, it's it's, it's it'd be the equivalent of you know a Dutch podcast to say joining us all the way from Arsenal is yeah. such and such when Arsenal isn't a place or Port uh, Vale because they're the two aren't they? It's uh, Arsenal, Arsenal and Port Vale are the only two clubs in the football league that are named after a place. Uh, Even though Woolwich, I know Arsenal, Woolwich, Arsenal, Woolwich, it's, yeah. it's a different thing. But anyway, enough about pointless football uh, facts and trivia. Let's talk about what we that let's was get the old podcast. Exactly, that's the old podcast. <laughs> let's get into the let's get into the new stuff. And you know, our first debate of the night. We've just gone through uh, a week of European football. Uh, uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid making their way through to the Champions League final and Ar- no, I nearly said Arsenal then <laughs> Atletico Madrid knocking off Arsenal to get to the Europa League final where they will play Marseille, Marseille. Am I right? exactly and one of the points has been brought up 
And it's something that gets brought up sort of every time an English slash British team is doing well in Europe is, is it right for fans of British slash English teams to support them? You know, like, you know, you're a Newcastle fan, I'm a Fulham fan, James is an Arsenal fan. Is it right for us to want Liverpool to do well? Is it right for us, you know, when Manchester United get to final, you know, last year against against Ireland, is it right for us to say, right, I want Man United to do well? Chelsea, Arsenal haven't been in many finals, but if and when they get there under their new manager, maybe we'll have the same discussion with them. Man City spurred the lot. Is it right for us to, you know, is it a good or a bad thing? Should we support the English clubs? Because it's been, po- it's been pointed out, that there will not be a single Barcelona fan cheering on Real Madrid in their final against Liverpool. There will not be a single Atletico Madrid fan, obviously because of rivalries. Hmm. But there won't. No, when German, when Bayern Munich made it to the final in 2012, I saw it. No German team wanted Bayern Munich to win. So there's sort against of against Dortmund. No, no, no against or, Chelsea in 2012. Oh, okay, yeah. No, so should we support the you no know, the teams that come from our now? from our nation slash nations because we want to include Celtic and Rangers in here as well Marcus what's your sort of view on it well it's I mean you're going to have to the equivalent when you say that there's going to be no Barcelona fans supporting Real Madrid there's going to be no Manchester United fans supporting Liverpool either. yeah obviously yeah, you're obviously, Liverpool, take, you're obviously taking rivalries yeah. aside but I'm saying like a West Brom fan should he be supporting Liverpool it's it's certain rules for certain clubs isn't it because uh, a few of the clubs over on this side uh to sure, you know, if a certain team was to reach a European Cup final and go on to win it, they'd almost use it like uh, as like a badge of honour, almost to sort of use to rub in other fans' faces. Um, yeah. And they'll just like prime example was um, Chelsea when they won the Europa League in 2013. Yeah. The next season they were singing Champions of Europe, We Know What We Are. Now that's a little bit of a stretch. I realised the year before that they had won the Champions League, but it's just using that sort of self-righteous entitlement. I think yeah. that's what people get frustrated or annoyed by. When we saw Leicester City in the Champions League, I can't think of many fans over on the British Isles that were against them because... They were, it, was, it was a good story. Everyone yeah, wanted them to do It was well. a good story. It was newfound territory for them. We'll have the same next season with Burnley going on their first European tour. I think we're happy for them because we know like, how long that's been built up. And they'll be, the they'll be grateful years. for it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, a new, it's a new privilege. Same as when Fulham were in the Europa League uh, all, all those years ago. You know... The, it's a good it, thing you have that banner there to remind you. It's helpful, yeah. It, um, all, all those years ago. Um... <laughs> But it's true, but Fulham weren't regulars in Europe. They would hit on and off. They would, you know... On and off. We hadn't been there. I think our last European run was 2002-03 UEFA Cup. There you go. On and off. (laughs) (laughs) Seven years is not on and off. (laughs) Anyway. But point stands. You want to see... Like, when Wigan won the FA Cup as well, and they went into Europe, having dropped into the Championship as well, it 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 was just a crazy story at that point. I think people... Can get behind that. What they can't get behind is the likes of, and James is going to take kindly to this, is when Arsenal went through a period of finishing in the top four for years on end and then constantly getting knocked out of the last 16 because it was almost it was like taking up a place that an, another team could challenge in the Champions League and possibly look to push it further instead of, instead of um, generating revenue for the club. Okay, uh, James. At that. Okay, James. Do you want to respond to that? He's take, taking shots at oh, the Gunners. Well, let's not let's not say he's taking shots. It's just it, that's how it was perceived by a mutual football fan. Okay. Now, first off, first off, I respect Marcus's opinion. 
I myself was also frustrated at playing in the Champions League for more than for around about 20 years and only reaching one final where if you're really really honest to reach that final was a little bit fluky with the penalty miss in the semi-final against BAL. Um I hoped for more and failure to adapt to tactics and to opponents put pay to that but I can fully understand where Marcus is coming from my own point of view is who decides what you should be doing in terms of uh, your support for European competition. To give you an example, last season Ajax reached the final of the Europa League against Manchester United. Now, I'm originally from uh, London. I emigrated to the Netherlands more than a decade ago, and I've been watching Ajax firsthand for, for more than a decade. So, obviously, I, my, my local team, if you like, that I've been watching for nine on a decade, got to a European final. And I'm not ashamed to say that I fully wanted um, Ajax to beat Manchester United, not because of Manchester United, not because it's a, an English side, but the fact it's the club that I've, um, I've grown to love and respect because it's based in my city and it's the only professional club in that respect in my city. And it was a very, very special time. I mean, the, the day of the final itself was, um, it was like a national day of the Netherlands, but instead of orange, all you ever saw was uh, Ajax uh, shirts in the tram, in, in the buses, in the metros. It was a, a special time, and unfortunately they didn't make it. And, um, yeah, I just think um, when you hear people saying you should be doing this and you should be doing that, I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if they're really clued up on, on what goes on in Europe. And it's not as, it's not as black and white as that. I mean, I, I myself attend Arsenal matches from the Netherlands. So I fly all the way from the Netherlands to London to watch my team play. And whilst I'm sitting watching my team play, I'm getting chastised by the away supporters telling me we support our local team. But yeah, they're not fully aware where I've come from to watch my team play. Yeah. But I think I think it's people just in general wanting everything to, you know, everything is black and white. And there are in some cases shades of, shades of grey areas. Yeah, but the the thing is, when I, I was going to say we can't have we don't have that many recent recent examples for this because Dutch teams haven't made many European far other than Ajax last year. But if there is, no, but I'll use the I'll use the example of Ajax taking away all the teams they have sort of rivalries with. And off the top of my head, I can only really think of Feyenoord and Eindhoven, yes, and PSV Eindhoven because they're sort of competitive rivalries, much in the same way of Arsenal Man United. But were there FC Twenty fans? Were there Groningen fans? Were there Nak Breder fans were there. Uh, Uster, that's not Uster, uh, any, any team that you wish to sort of mention that didn't have a direct rivalry with Ajax, were they uh, hoping that Ajax did well as sort of a no, it's good for Dutch football, or were they, you know, sort of say, oh, we don't want you know this all powerful Ajax winning because they own because they always win the title, sort of thing? Uh, no, outside of Rotterdam. I would say that 99% of fellow Dutch football fans, whether they were for uh, an ODSA or for FC Twins or for Nijmegen or, or, or um, uh, along those lines, they wanted Ajax to do well for Dutch football. Obviously, Feyenoord being the main rival, they don't even uh, they, don't, they wouldn't even entertain that notion. And, and then as well, you've got the the rivalry between Ardo Den Haag and Ajax, which is more coming from Ardo's point of view and the same with FC Utrecht which is kind of like a it's as if they're, they're trying to, to, to gain something on that and trying to push that rivalry whereas the main one is Ajax Feyenoord but um, in the case of last May the majority of the Netherlands wanted uh, Ajax to do well for Dutch football and for the coefficient because you see now that um, PSV are 
worthy champions this season. And they have to go through uh, a qualifying round this season. They are no longer they no longer have a direct uh, place in the group phase of the Champions League. Now that's an in, that's an interesting take. The fact the fact you mentioned that they want to do it for the coefficient for the good of for the good of Dutch football. You know, I have no idea how the coefficient would have worked. You know, had Ajax won that game, would that have meant the way the coefficient rankings worked that now Eindhoven would be straight into the group stage? Because I know that. I know that the Champions League from next year is going through some sort of change where the English, the Germans, I think the Spanish and the Italians all get four automatic spots. I know the English do, straight into the group stage. Okay. I know I know the English do. So that's interesting that you said it's for the good of Dutch football. Is that sort of where the problem comes from, you know, from the from the English uh, English slash British, although for coefficient reason we'll say English, so you could throw in the Welsh as well because it's a thought something. Um, on a coefficient rate, is it that, you know, it won't change anything at Manchester United winning the Champions League? You know, what good is it going to do? All it's going to do is boost their own ego or Liverpool. You know what you mentioned earlier, rubbing it in people's faces. Is that all it's for, rubbing, you know, boosting their own ego? Whereas a, when a little team does it, like, an, I, I won't say little team, but a, a team that doesn't get there regularly, like an Ajax, like a Marseille for their uh, Europa League final, for, you know, uh, our, uh, Red Bull Leipzig, the German team. that they Is that sort of thing, you know, it, it's good for the country rather than good for just one team, Marcus? That's where the stories are, isn't it? Uh, when you see, you know, small clubs like that. That's where there's more sort of a... That's where uh, fans of other clubs can begin to relate because when they see a team like that reach that sort of level and, like, get to that sort of stage, they sort of they take inspiration from that. No one really takes inspiration from Chelsea or Manchester United reaching any cup finals domestically or otherwise because they're expected to. So, so, so is, it, is it a romantic thing, rather like, like like Swansea and Bradford in the League Cup final all those years ago? Yeah, it was a it was a it was a great story. It was good for football. Yeah, well, Arsenal, uh, well, Arsenal were knocked out by Bradford yes. uh, during that run as well, and like Bradford just kept going on and on and on. And I think that's what people, what, um, well, not just football fans but sport fans in general or anyone would sort of look to clutch onto. it's not I mean it's also in this new age of social media as well it's trendy to not like um, other British teams competing in Europe as well and just have to have no affiliation with them on European soil because you wouldn't support them on British soil when they're playing domestically yeah. so they sort of carry on that through and they don't want to be seen as hypocritical um there's no sort of, there's no right answer either way. Like I say, it's different rules for different clubs. Like if you, you know, if you, if we all enjoyed the run of Leicester a couple of years ago, we'll enjoy the run of Burnley next year. No one's really going to bat an eyelid with what Chelsea do in the Champions League. Okay, I'll throw, okay, I'll throw a curveball at you. Everyone likes the story. Sooner or later, Manchester City are going to make a final. They've got, you know, arguably the best manager in the world, Pep Fraudiola. They've got a very decent side, no, best Premier League, very decent side. Most, it must be said. Well, most wins in one season, most goals scored in one season. Yeah, they've done, they've done pretty, they've done pretty well for themselves. Most points, but shut up, pretty good team. Shut up, no, but so much for fraud. Carry exactly, on. but when and if Manchester City make the final, yeah. Will there be, you know, you talk about the stories, you know, Manchester City, you know, no, fifteen years ago. They were still in what was then the first division. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say they had to crawl their way up because there was a big influx of money midway through. But would there be a positive story out of that? I think there would be eventually historically. 
I think if you were to look back uh, in, I don't know, 50 years from now, and, you know, there will, there, will, there will be statues of Pep Guardiola and Sergio Aguero outside the Etihad or wherever they've moved in their 90,000 seats to stadium, whatever it might be, right? And there will be dads telling their kids, uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, I, um, this team were in the third tier of English football and it only took them 20 years to go from that to Champions of Europe. Uh, they'll miss out a bit in the middle. They'll but miss yeah. out, yeah. Well, but they'll miss... But the, the point of that story will be there will be fans, and there still are Manchester City fans, who have seen those dark days and seen those dark times. There are some new ones now that haven't, understand that, but that goes for a lot of clubs. That will go, they'll, they'll be the same for Manchester United. There will be Manchester United fans who were around in the 80s when Liverpool were dominating on every you know platform. Yeah. Uh, so... It will be a relatively successful story for those fans that have seen those sort but that's of things. But that's from a Manchester City perspective. I'm talking like to you as a Newcastle to fan. Me. I'm talking to James as an Arsenal fan. If and when Man City get there, will you say, you know, yes, let's root for them. They've come all this way sort of thing. Well, or will there be, an ang- you know, taking Manchester, Manchester United fans out of it sort of yeah. thing. Will there be a sort of animosity of, oh, they've bought their way to it, well, my, I don't want them to win? My general consensus for, per, personally for Manchester City is, yes, I understand they've had uh, an extraordinary amount of financial investment, um, to, uh, to which I say to those Manchester City fans, good luck to them. You know, it could have happened to any club, Sheikh Mansour picks them uh, for whatever reason, and it's worked out successfully. And those fans, they've earned... They've earned these moments. They've earned these title wins, uh, whether it is through quote unquote buying leagues or, or or otherwise. They are just as entitled to success as Everton fans or Stoke fans or whoever else that might be picked up, plucked out of thin air. Yeah. So for me, if I was to you know, I can't speak for the rest of the nation. If I was to see Manchester City in a in a um, uh, European Cup final. Uh, yeah, I probably would back them because I understand. I know there's fans within that concourse that have seen both sides of it. They've seen both ends of it. If I see Chelsea in the European Cup final, I think, mm, okay, it's a little different because they have been in around that sort of level of success for a number of years. I understand, again, there'll be more that go further back, but as of the turn of the 21st century, it's been a relatively cushy time. Yeah, for Chelsea fans, and it's the manner that Chelsea have done it as well. You know, switching managers constantly and just mm-hmm. constant, you know, problems in the dressing rooms and things like that. So, what it boils down to is certain clubs, certain rules. Yeah, okay. in terms of backing in Europe. Yeah, and James, I'll throw the same question over. I'll throw the same question over to you. You know, should in in a um, imaginary slash fantasy scenario, Manchester City reach the Champions League final next year? Will you, as a as a British person, as um, as a, and as an Arsenal fan, will you would you cheer for a Manchester City? I can only really use Man City in this scenario because Spurs are in more or less the same boat, and I think I know the answer. You know, would an Arsenal fan support? No, no. So <laughs> it's the same. So, no, would you support Manchester City in this scenario? Or and in, I'll throw it no further. Do you, would you support any other British club in this situation? Or is it as Marcus said? Would you pick and choose depending on which club it is? Um, I personally, <clears throat> I would pick and choose. Um, if I see a final lineup, we're sitting down to watch a final as a as a as a football fan. To give you an example, um, the 2010 Champions League final in Madrid, 
between Bayern Munich and Inter Milan. Now I have no affiliation with with neither team. I couldn't I couldn't say who I wanted to win. I just wanted to sit and enjoy a, a decent game of football, which was which was pretty good. And um, I always with with previous finals as well, like with um, uh, with the Real Madrid Atletico. You know, I sway a bit more to Real Madrid than Atletico. And if good man, that's in, that's the correct decision. <laughs> yeah, Carry on, James. <laughs> No, but that's, I will always sit down. Like um, to give to give you another exa- example as well. If you look at uh, Dortmund Bayern Munich in 2013, I, I don't dislike Bayern Munich. I've got nothing against them whatsoever. But I was um, I was I, I swung more towards Dortmund in that final and uh, and the run up to that final. So I wanted Dortmund to win. And so for me, it's always a complete when you sit down to watch that final, or when the final lineup is uh, is ratified, that you make your decision as to who you want to win, and um, and then you take it from there, really. And, and again, if it was a situation, uh, if Manchester City were in a European Cup final, would you would you root for them? I mean, regardless of who their opposition is, this is would you want the English team to do well? I, I to be honest, uh, for me, it depends on who they're playing. Like for example, I'm a, I, I have a soft spot for Benfica as a, the size of that club and the, and the, and the history of that club. Hypothetically, if Benfica were playing Man City in a Champions League final, I'd want Benfica to win because I, I'm a, I've got a bit of a, a soft spot for Benfica. I, I don't have a soft spot for every single uh, football team, for, for every single country in Europe. It's just the, the little things on your journey as a football fan through the years when you've been on. Uh, on holiday, perhaps, or if you've seen a, a particular opponent play your team, where you thought, "Oh, they're very good." Like, for example, I was extremely impressed with Monaco when they not when they beat Arsenal three-one at the Emirates in 2015, and um, since then I've um, I've tr- followed them even closely because obviously Monaco people people talk about the the riches and the expenses they have, which is true. But people also forget when they t- when they talk about Monaco that the club have, have always had an absolutely fantastic youth setup, which is always uh, born fruit, and uh, that's very interesting to me still in this day and age. Okay, so in the uh, Champions League final coming up, who are you going to be supporting, if any, or are you just going to sit down as a neutral and enjoy the third best player in the world, Gareth Bale, taking on the fourth best player in the world, Mo Salah? Well, I, I'm a Madrid fan. I've been a Madrid fan for for more than 15 years, and I, I spent a short period of my life living in Madrid for half a year, where I went to watch Real Madrid play at the Bernabeu, and it was extremely special. Wow, you um, get everywhere, don't you, James? Yeah, yeah. Well, but so I've been. A, I'm a I'm a Madrid fan. If it was, uh, for example, I, I don't particularly like, I don't particularly like Barcelona. So, for example, if you had a hypothetical. Um, Final of Barcelona and Liverpool, I might sway perhaps more towards Liverpool in that respect. But being a being a, being a Madrid fan for many many years, I would like to see them win it for a third time. But I will also commend Liverpool at how well they've done to reach the final. They've done ever so well, and um, they've uh, they fully deserved their place in Kiev. Yeah. Now a sort of further question, touching on you know now. Are you still going? Because we've discussed this off air. James did have, or D does have, a ticket for the Europa League final. Are you still going? Yes, you are still absolutely. going. Absolutely. Okay. And who are you? Who are you going to be supporting? Well, I just want to see a good game of football. You're just going there I, as a neutral. There's, okay. There's, for, for me, with that final, I just want to. I just want to sit sit and enjoy a, a European final live. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to get to the. Champions League final last year in Cardiff, which was very special indeed, 
and to have the luck to uh, go to a Europa League final the following season, I'm very lucky. And yes, I'm very disappointed that my own team didn't get there because that would have been very special indeed. But I will admit that um, Atletico Madrid deserve to go through over two legs. I marvelled at the um, defensive qualities of Diego Jodin. I, I knew of him before that game was played and, and that his performances for me just reaffirmed that he is absolute world class. And also, I'm pleased for Marseille because obviously everyone has their own opinion. But in my opinion, Marseille is the biggest club in the whole of France. When you look at their league titles and their cups and their European triumphs, and it's going to be a, a really, really good game. And I have a sneaky feeling that the game is going to go to extra time. Good, and hopefully Marseille will win it for a variety of reasons, but I can't stand it. Like now, James, one further question. Are you going to be buying a programme when you go there as, your, as your souvenir? Absolutely. Good. I will, I will deliberately be looking for one. I managed to find one at the Champions League final, and I hope they they have that little truck again where you can buy all your uh, souvenirs, and that will be the first thing uh, first thing I ask for. I noticed with the Champions League final last year that uh, when they had the truck opening up with all the T-shirts and all the memorabilia that hardly anybody asked for programmes. Right, and I was I was one of the first ones to, to do it, and it sits pride of place in my bookcase. Good. So no one apart from yourself was buying a program, which leads fantastically into our next debate. Well done, there, James, for linking it together. You did a fantastic job. So there's there's a debate now going on. Well, it's set to take place that the football league, the EFL. Uh, apparently there's a rule right now that I was not aware of that apparently football clubs have to produce uh, programmes on match days and apparently the whole talk slash vote slash debate whatever you wish to to call it is going to be centred around whether or not a club has to produce programmes and the main sort of crux for this is that no one seems to be buying programs anymore. So why is the club uh, pouring money into? I have no idea how much programs cost. You know, and how much they three make. quid a program. I'm yeah, yeah, no, no, three quid. To, yeah. But I'm talking about how much does it cost the club to produce? Oh, you know, if it costs on average one pound a program, yeah, and they print ten thousand. But they only sell. They've got advertisements in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's one. I don't yeah. know what the. But but they they're only really they'd only really have this debate if there wasn't a fact that some some clubs are losing money or not making enough money off it. So my question is: in today's modern age, where you can get anything and everything digitally, like four four two, are you are you subscribed to four four two? I, d- I don't now just because I don't read it sort of as much as I used to. I think you know five pound every month. I'll buy like a, a, an occasional issue if World there's Cup a de- special. Exactly, or, or, yeah. I won't buy it every month. But they've gone digital. Yep. Newspapers all gone digital. I've just bought my ticket for the uh, Fulham playoffs. That's available on my phone. Why do we have to print the? I'm, I'm sort of putting my flag in the table now. I'm very much for the whole going digital or you know with programs. You know. Make it one pound fifty a go. Cut the cost of producing, of you know, putting it actually on paper. Cut the cost of producing it. Cut the price for fans. Watch the watch the people buying it skyrocket. That's my take on it. Now we're gonna. Uh, I think James has James has made his point pretty clear. I think on last week's show about where he stands on programs. So we'll get to him in a second. But Marcus, I want to know what your view is when you go to a game. 
Do you buy programs? Do you like it? Do you have a collection of them? What is your overall view? I used to buy programs, but every time I did, Newcastle fucking lost. So I stopped. It got okay. really frustrating. Um, one, of the <coughs> la- one of the last programs I bought, it was at a Fulham game with Matt. Was it the one at St. James's? No, no, oh, one, no, no, you bought that. <laughs> I didn't buy it because I know if I bought it, we'd lose. But we lost anyway. I can't win. No, it was when we were at Craven Cottage a few years ago and we waited out front for people to sign it. And I think it was signed by Musa Sissoko, Colachini, and John Carver. So I just threw it in the bin. <laughs> you didn't that. even get Shola. Um, well, you had your picture with Shola, previously, picture, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so but anyway, but on but the yeah. subject, programs, are you a fan of them? Um, I think I'm a fan of the idea of them because I think this comes back to first match day experiences. So, for little Timmy, who's coming to see his favourite football club for the first time, he wants to go there, get himself something from the club shop, uh, a programme, maybe a scarf. A half and half one, Yeah, a half and half, yeah, always. um, Things like that. So, I think it's part of... um, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I think it's been bred into the culture of football to pick up a programme. And people... People would usually read them either pre-kickoff or during half-time. Now, in an age of social media, which comes back to what you were saying earlier, where everyone has a smartphone and can access any app, uh, any news, or basically just look, stare at their phone for social media updates or whatever they want. Apart they, from St Andrews, because the reception there is poor. Oh, St James's Park too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Same. Um, or you text your family, or basically, yeah. the program was basically there to occupy fans during lulls. In either play or halftime or otherwise, yeah. it's a bit redundant at this point. There is a fanzine up in Newcastle called True Faith. They stopped going. They stopped printing physical copies and went digital uh, a few years ago now, and they're free as well because of the revenue that they take in through advertising as well off the back of it. And it's charged for it. That's probably the way forward that we're looking at this point. You could say that it's. Um, it's a bit disappointing that we're entering that age, but it's it's almost like leaving a generation behind. But that's kind of just times changing yeah, naturally. It's, it's, exactly. it's a natural it's, transition. It's and it's and it's not just everything. It's everything now. We're getting we're just getting into this age. Like it's like being sentimental with Blockbuster. You know, we have Netflix now. You don't have to have a physical copy of something. You can watch it and then never think about it again. You can read a match day program, read the interview with whoever the you know, the cover star is of the day. Yep. And then once you've read it, it's just it's you can screenshot it and then you'll never lose it. A program you could drop in the puddle on the way home. <laughs> you're not dropping your phone on the way home. James, I know you're a vehement fan of the match day program. You're not gonna win you're not gonna win me over, but there may be some people out there listening who may still need convincing. So I'll just open the floor to you. You're a fan of match day programs, why? I'm just for me it's been a, a really really important part of my match day going experience and I've been at many many grounds all over Europe and I've gone out of my way on many occasions to make sure I get my program and thankfully 99% of the time I managed to get one and uh, it's just for me it's the information which I love to refer back to I've uh, I've been fortunate enough to see many, many top European teams play live in action, some against my own club. And, uh, for example, um, I spoke earlier about the uh, the Monaco game back in 2015. Now, I still have that programme. And inside that programme is information about the now-famous manager of Monaco, Leonardo Jardim. 
and players such as Marshall on Kondogbia and Berbatov when he was uh, playing back for Monaco. The same with um, with Bayern Munich in 2013. For me, it's a huge source of information, which I love to refer to. Not not every single day of the week, of course, but every now and again. Like I say, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have seen the Bayern Munich side of 2013 and the Juventus uh, side of uh, of last year and. Um, and um, the um, Barcelona side of 2015 when they came to Amsterdam in uh, in September 2014. And when you watch these world-class teams in action, when you have that programme to flick through and it gives you a tiny little bit of information of something that you didn't know that, will, that may, may stick with you. Like, for example, I went to Arsenal versus Norwich and I think it was 2012. And I was flicking through my programme and I didn't realise that the then Arsenal left-back Kieran Gibbs spent a uh, spent a loan period at No T. And without reading the programme, I wouldn't have known that. So for me, it's a, little, it's a source of information where you always know something, uh, uh, you always learn something you didn't know. I mean, I can fully understand with the way the world is going and, and embracing different techniques and everything. But uh, for me to have something in print in your hands that you can flick through and always refer to at, uh, at a later date is very important for example I, I'm doing this podcast at home and I have my uh, my bookcase filled with programs from years gone by that I can refer to them at any moment if I'm uh, if I'm trying to remember a certain manager's name of a team that I saw many years ago or a player that made an impression that I didn't know much about I can just uh, flick to the visitors section of the programme and have a read up on his biography and know an awful lot more. Here's the thing, but all that content that you will get and would get, it's the same content, it's just in a different format. That's all that they're really they're really asking for. You can see and I said this to you on the WhatsApp group, is if you still want to, in ten years time, go back and reflect on the great, you know, say you say you went to um uh, Arsenal, the first game of next season, their first home game, you know, whoever it's going to be, you know, Maximo Allegri, you know, seems to be the favourite, his first home game. If you want to go back and flick to the memory of that day and read his first ever programme notes, which I still don't think are written by the manager, that's written by PR person, just swap. Brief, yeah, exactly. out by them. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they are. Um, if you want to go back and read that stuff and read Interview With... Aaron Ramsey, what he thinks, what was it like over the summer adjusting to Massimo Allegri's new formation or whatever? You can still do that. Just have it on. Just get yourself an iPad or some form of I, tablet. There are tablets available. Just as and just have that for the programs that are gonna, that are going to come up. I'll come to James's aid there and say it. Do, it's not the same. I oh, know it's not, it's not I know, the same. I know, I know, hang on, Thank hang on, you, Marcus. Hang on, hang on. No, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here and I'm gonna tell you a story. I know you already know this story. James might not. My first football match, Brisbane Road, like oh, yeah. Leighton Orient against Newcastle United. Uh, we were we missed the first half because of traffic. We got let into the ground by the stewards for free in the second half. I think I was about nine years old. I picked up a program because it was my first football match that I'd attended. So I got a program because again it okay okay different age different times, but it was part of the tra- tradition of doing it. I got my program. I waited out front afterwards, and I wanted Alan Shearer to sign <coughs> my program. Alan Shearer went steaming past me, and I was bawling my eyes out. I was absolutely like physically, visibly upset. One of the stewards grabs my programme, jumps onto the bus, gets Alan Shearer to sign it, hands it back to me. That is still in my bedroom drawer, not 18 years later. 
I know exactly where it is, and I will not get rid of that because that's part of that match day memory experience. Now, that is a specific scenario where that was my first football match. Okay, so that has sentiment to it. So I can understand getting a program for that. So if it's a first football match, if it's a cup final, if it's your first World Cup match, if it's just if it has some sort of affiliation, I'm going to be picking up a program on Wednesday night. You're, oh, da- yeah, you're, you're damn right I am because this will be the first time that Newcastle United would have played at Wembley Stadium, and I've been waiting since 1999. Or since 99, but, but it's I, the first time at the new Wembley. Yeah, at the new Wembley, and I didn't become a Newcastle fan until the year 2000, so I didn't know a time of Newcastle at Wembley. And I've been waiting for this moment for 18 years. So, of course, I will get something to commemorate that. So, for specific occasions, fine. If I'm off to watch Aldershot against Morecambe round the corner uh, in the middle of March at 3 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, I'm not going to get a programme because I'm... You, li- you literally just jumped my point. I'm okay. If we want to sort of have a, have a middle ground in this, yeah, absolutely fine. Champions League final, Europa League finals, playoff semi-finals, if you want to make that argument, playoff finals... Big games, if you want to produce physical programs for that, absolutely fine. I will give you that. But for League Cup third round game replays, when, <laughs> replays when you know at the Emirates when it's you know sixty thousand seater, but third round uh, replay against Scunthorpe, say, and there's only thirty thousand turning up. Do you really have to produce a programme It's going to matter more to Scunthorpe at that point. So it should be on Scunthorpe to produce that programme for their fans if they were to play a bigger team, like an Arsenal or a Chelsea. Okay. So if the game was being held at Stamford Bridge and it was Chelsea against Scunthorpe, instead of Chelsea producing mass programmes, it should be Scunthorpe producing it uh, for their 2,000 fans or, who, or whoever will go. Anyone that buys a ticket gets a programme with it. Something, okay. something okay. like that. We we have to work around it because, you know, like you say, and it is and it is boiling down to this in this day and age. It is coming down to money in football. Yeah. And if clubs are losing money, especially when you're at that sort of level, then it's going to matter more. So we that's the way to work around it, in my opinion. Yeah. But what do I know? Yeah, James. Anything you sort of like to add on that? Yeah. No, I agree with Marcus. I think to find the middle ground to placate, uh, placate both fans I think that's the way to go if you have maybe uh, where you get a program when you buy your ticket or you opt to, to have one sent to you afterwards or something like that I think there's a this is a way forward where both camps can be happy I mean I'm all for them reducing maybe the amount that they print every day every match so long as the people that really want to get them um, will um, will find a way to uh, to get one should they wish. I think that's that's very important. Print print less, uh, which makes them more valuable. Down, yeah. down the line. Yeah. Okay. And so in a forty thousand seat stadium, forty thousand people are not going to buy a program. Yeah, there won't be forty thousand individual. No. Yeah, print five to ten thousand. Even that's a pff, even that's a fair amount. Yeah. You know. I was going to say, but is, I was going to say, you say more valuable. That's the reverse of what West Brom did because you told me this story. Sir Alex Ferguson's last ever game, yeah, at, at West Brom. West Brom put out a sort of statement saying, "If you want a program from Sir Alex Ferguson's last say, just ask and we'll send you one for three quid. Don't buy, don't go sell, uh, hunting one on eBay yeah. for hundred and fifty quid. Just come to us. We'll keep producing them." Yeah. That's that's very clever, man. That's if you look, if you look. Going forward, I think that's very clever, and that can be used um, used as a template for going forward. I believe. Okay, so okay, so that's okay. So have the digital copy on your phone slash iPad, 
But anyone who wants a physical version, well, this thing, if you want a physical version, just go home and print it out. But if you want a sort of glossy, a, printed, of, a know, glossier version to, to have yeah. in your thing, yeah, then, sim- then it's simply an extra three pound charge or whatever. That would that would make sense. I, again, I'll cons- that's probably should. I won't say should the way because I'm still adamant of the get everything digital. I'm still annoyed the fact that I talk about you know the thing I've got on my phone, but I still have to print it out. I'm still annoyed that I can't actually show the barcode on my phone. It has to be printed out. That's got to go soon enough. What? Because I've got because I've got a trip to LA coming up. I'm going to see three baseball games and a football game, oh, soccer yeah. game. All the tickets I can show you right now are on my phone, and I can get in simple yeah. as that. It's just. I do it for the cinema as well. Uh, you get. A I cannot tell you. The, I cannot tell you the last. Scan. I cannot tell you the last physical cinema ticket I actually have. I cannot yeah. tell you. Uh, what I will say to weigh in for this debate is slightly different. I know you're talking about digital, and I appreciate that. Um, a little side note: you're talking about four four two. My sister is signed up to an app for six quid a month. You are like. So I'm not plugging the. I can't remember the name of the app, but you signed up to all number. Of oh, it's like a thousand. I know, I know yeah. what you mean. I just four, can't four, think. Four, two included every month. Yeah, I just so can't. You can think. just read it as and when. So you know that's what we're moving into. Yeah. But that to one side. What I will say is one thing I can't agree with personally. Now I'm a big comic book fan. I like reading graphic novels and comic books. Mm. I like, but I like them in physical form. Yeah. Because I don't want my comic book to have ten percent battery and then die on me. <laughs> you know, uh, I like to have the physical copy with me because it feels different. I get more engrossed in the story when I'm staring at a book and not at a screen. I think it's slightly different because that's fiction, um, as opposed to a program where you're reading about interviews with things. But I prefer being engrossed in that sort of sentiment. Yeah. So I like physical copies in that respect, so long as the demand is still there, which it is now you can get uh, comics in digital format as well. And for some people who are on the go for tablets and things, that works for them. Brilliant. Good luck to them. I like to build up a collection with mine physically, though. I like to look at them, go back to them, and refer to them. Yeah. For whatever reason. So I, I see both sides of the argument. To say that I'd be all for digital copies of programs would be hypocritical of me. Yeah. On certain occasions, like World Cup finals, of course, people are going to want them and yeah. things like that. But not for. If it, don't you have programs of like when Fulham have been like under twenty one? I have. I have. I, I know they've been produced, and you're a bit like, come on. Yeah, like I got one for when we went for the uh, Czech Trade <laughs> Trophy, which I'm still all for. That's a different debate for a different time. I do have a, just because I was just sort of intrigued about it. Like well, what they put in? Yeah, Portsmouth versus Fulham, the under 23s. What are they actually putting in for this program? Turns out it was only about six pages. Yeah. And all it was was a if you folded it out, it was a fold out poster of some player. They got the team wrong, for instance. They listed the first team squad for Fulham. So they listed like Marcus Bettinelli, like yeah. Tom Kearney, Kevin McDonald, the lot. When it was kids. Rather, yeah, when it yeah. was the under-23. So it, it, there was some oddity about it, but I, that was just sort of for the intrigue. I, I will buy, I'm more inclined to buy an away programme, not as a souvenir, but just to see what their take of, our team, of what my team is. But again, if given the chance, I would rather have, have exactly the same stuff on my phone. James, um, you as you're such an avid collector, do you have like a a, a program that's you know is pride of place on your cabinet of programs? Um, well, there's quite a few. I, I I treat everyone the same, really. But um, um, yeah, if if I had to pick one outside of my own club, I'd say it's the it was the Champions League final last year because okay. it was my first ever final and. Um, 
you know, I've been to semi-finals with Arsenal and quarter-finals and, and semi-final cup matches in the past here in the Netherlands as well. And, um, you know, to get to a major final, especially for that event and for that match, was uh, was very special indeed. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the Champions League final from last year. OK, Marcus, do you have any... Obviously, you mentioned the you know the one with Alan Shearer. Yeah. Oh, the, do, do you have any others that, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're never throwing away? Um, I had one a few years ago from when I made my first trip to White Hart Lane. We were in Newcastle won 1-0. And Tim Krull had the most ridiculous goalkeeping yeah. performance I've seen. I saw that live. <laughs> to this day, I cannot figure out how Mapau Yanga Mbiwa managed to get his foot inside underneath the ball and a w- hooked away above the crossbar and off the line. I, I, I can't get my head around it. Go and watch it on YouTube. Uh, like You'll see me in the crowd just like with a face just completely dropped in just pure ghost form. Um, one night I didn't pick up in December, but... <sighs> not too bothered about was when I went to see Newcastle play at West Ham away again my first trip to the London Stadium uh, I didn't pick up a programme maybe I should have but my theory was if I picked one up we'd get beat okay. and we were on a terrible run at that point and I think we had a midfield of Modi and Henri Saive and I was like well this is a throwaway dud game um, but yeah that Spurs one I'll always hold on to that um, I believe I have a QPR one as well from a year that we stayed up 2013 possibly uh, Stayed up. Yeah. Is that the way that Newcastle? Is that the way? No, hang on. No, is that the way Newcastle have gone now? Let me that you're reminiscing when you finish. stayed up. Let me finish. It was my first trip to Loftus Road as well. We had there was a pitch invasion at the end when QPR fans came on. I was. I also got spotted in a match today, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it was affiliation with that. I also have the program of. It sounds. I did say one program that you uh, Okay, all right. On. If I was to pick one, it would be from my 21st birthday weekend when I went up to Newcastle and Newcastle beat Stoke 2 1 in the final minute. Was that Johan Kabai off the, off Free the cross kick, Yeah, Stephen yeah. Taylor doing his things with Begovic messing about. Yeah. That, that just summed up the weekend absolutely yeah. perfectly. I will admit that I did have, I did, emphasis on the word did, have sentimental value. For some reason, I carried around with it. I carried it around with me all the way through my first year of university because I forgot it was in my bag. But the first year of it was the day Fulham stayed up at Portsmouth. For some reason, oh, is that what Fulham have come to now? <laughs> that you just reminisce about the day you stayed up at Portsmouth? Is that what Hang it on. is for Fulham fans? Well, now we're, okay? now we're in the Championship. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but then, for some reason, I just forgot. <laughs> I obviously brought it for some person. I had it in my bag. Just forgot about it, and it turned out I had it with me all the way through my first year of university. Was that Danny Murphy that scored? That Dan- yeah, Danny Murphy off Jimmy Bullard's free kick. Anyway, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Anyway, now comes yeah, the. Okay, if that's the end of that debate, now comes the bill I'm sort of a bit hesitant on, but we've in the running order we've just left this blank, and I'm just I'm just, just going to throw it open. We we could have it. We could have this a, a regular feature. I'll throw it open. Anything that you guys want to talk about? Who knows a good joke? No, Marcus. No. <laughs> Knowing you, it will get us taken off the air. James, is there anything sort of you want to you know throw it open to the floor? Is there any topic you wish to talk about? We're being democratic on this podcast. Um, maybe we could discuss the um, the lineup for the championship playoffs. Yeah, what about them? I don't think anyone here is interested, to be honest. You, you do this, you do this to Herbie, don't you, James? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. The last about I'll talk about the last game, Davis Day of the season, because that was a bloody nightmare. It was, fun. but I'll tell you what was good. I'll give hundred percent credit to the Birmingham fans. 
that was a fantastic atmosphere. Was it sold out? Yeah, the, yeah. No, it wasn't. There was a no. bit by, but, but but mostly the atmosphere filmed. that they created and the amount of times they sang. You know, one uh, once. No, one keep, no, keep right on to the end of the road is their song. Oh, okay. It was a bit excessive. They probably sang it one or two times more than they needed to. But when it got going, my word, it got going, and it was goosebump and juicy. I will give full credit to Birmingham, the fans, for turning up. I will give full credit to Birmingham City, the team, for turning up, because Lord knows Fulham didn't <laughs> and couldn't take advantage of Reading. Uh, Drawing was draw- that, Yeah, that, that, was the, that was the worst. You bit. weren't watching, though. I was watching that match. I don't know how that was nil-nil. It was it was an absolute rout from Cardiff. Yeah. They were just peppering that goal all game. Yeah. Reading barely had a sniff. But anyway, if we want to discuss the playoffs, I'm sort of excited. I'm sort of nervous because Derby were the team that I would have of the three that we got in the you know Villa, Middlesbrough, and Derby. I'd rather have started off with Derby, even though they do have the championship top scorer and Joe Ledley and Tom Lawrence and Andy Vyman and Tom Huddleston and Richard Keogh and a very good side. I'd still rather them than a Tony Pulis side twice. Sod that. <laughs> and John Terry motivated, a leader in big games who want to go out on a high. Sod having to play him twice. On a one-off occasion, I reckon we could take them, but over two games, no. So that's that's my quick preview of the playoffs. I reckon Fulham will beat Derby, just about. I reckon Aston Villa will beat Middlesbrough, just about. And then John Terry versus Alexander Mitrovic for 90 minutes at Wembley. Tune in, folks. My word, that is going to be fun. So there's the uh, playoffs thing. You are... Uh, you on the WhatsApp group did say you want to talk about the Champions League and Europa League stuff. I think we've more or less covered that. Unless you want to talk about unless you want to talk about Thursday night James I kind of just jumped on this subject and ran away with it I have sorry yeah. sorry James over to you back over to you sorry you got me going um, when you talk about Fulham you get me going no that's fine um, my from outside looking in I actually think it will be a Fulham Middlesbrough final I think that Middlesbrough will beat Aston Villa over two legs I prefer and, that um, I think it will be very interesting to see a final between Fulham and Middlesbrough and um yeah, it should be uh, should be a decent game. Is Jordan Rhodes still at Middlesbrough? Sorry? Is Jordan Rhodes still at Middlesbrough? Because I've no. talked I've talked about him for a while about how he was the best forward in the division, and he might and he might that. and he might come back to Horde. Um, Marcus, you know we've had James throwing in. Do you, is there anything you wish to talk about? Do you want to talk about the miraculous job Rafa Benitez has done in saving Newcastle United despite a team full of internationals and a Champions League winning manager? How it's a miracle that he's kept them up in the league? Jordan Rhodes is at Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, good. We don't have to play. <laughs> God. But is there any sort of topics you want to talk about? Oh. You know what? I'll throw this open. Relegation. That's going to be a fun end of the week. It's oh, it's going to be a good giggle. Last game of the yeah. season. I think we're bound for something, aren't we? Uh... It should be lining up for it anyway. Hopefully, yeah. I, I'm I'm more interested in what's going to happen tomorrow night with Swansea and Southampton. Oh, it's tomorrow. I keep forgetting it's Monday. Yeah, it's bank holiday. Tomorrow yeah. night, um, you're going to have that. So, and it, the I, I tell you what, I'll throw. I'm going to throw one out right now. You ready? Yeah. Manager of the season. If they stay up, Darren Moore. <laughs> For the limited amount of games he's had, and the car crash, literal car tra- crash job that he's had to pull apart and get those wins and those results. If he keeps them up, yeah, go on, why not? Would you, Throw his name in contention. James, would you be okay with that? Darren Moore getting manager of the season for five games yeah. worth? <laughs> for five games. Going unbeaten? I would admit he's had a fantastic impact, but if you were asking me for my manager of the season, it would be Roy Hodgson. 
Oh, I was going to say, well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm happy you said Sean Dyche. I, I assumed you were going to say Sean Dyche, but we're at Hodgson. No, Roy Hodgson, I think, to come, to come back uh, and for Palace uh, to have suffered the start they had and for him to be completely written off by everybody, all and sundry, as regards to what happened in, um, in Euro 2016. You yourself, Matt, as a Fulham fan, know how much of a, a fantastic manager he is. God. And, um, I think uh, I think he's done a tremendous job at Palace, and the only way is up for them. He has, and for him to have all accrued all his experience abroad, and to go back as uh, as someone from Croydon and um, and give Crystal Palace a new lease of life, I think it's. Uh, I take my hat off to him, and I hope he uh, can continue to. Um, I hope he can continue to have um, success at Crystal Palace. I thought he was very unlucky as England manager, especially at the end. I think everybody at the end, after the debacle of the Iceland game, seemed to forget that this is a man that only lost five competitive games. And, um, you know, that's not a lot at all in comparison to previous managers. And I just think, um, I think when he's retired, I think you'll get a lot more people giving uh, Roy Hodgson the credit he deserves. Yeah, he will. And um, I'll just love just the perfect analogy. Giving Darren Moore manager of the season would be like giving... The guy who plays Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, best actor, even Vin he, Diesel. Is it Vin Diesel? Or whatever, yeah. for only saying three lines. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that all he said? I've never seen the film. I is am it, Groot. Is that all he, he also says, We are Groot. But that's all but he says through it, the yeah, film. That's it. Is that, yeah. it's, it's exactly what it would be. It would be like giving Vin Diesel best actor not, just for saying five uh, lines. It's, it's ridiculous the turnaround that they've had, isn't it? It uh, is. In that sense. Uh, quick, I'm going to quickly weigh in there uh, and. Just throw a proverbial couple of buckets of water over both of you there for Roy Hodgson. Can we calm it down a little bit, please? That Crystal Palace team was never, ever, ever going to go down by any stretch. There was far too much quality in there. Frank De Boer, I maintain, would have got it correct eventually. Would he have done as well a job as Roy Hodgson? Possibly not. But they would not have gone down, and that was what Crystal Palace were aiming for at that point. Yeah, I, I'll, 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 I'll agree with you, but I'll disagree by saying it. Actually, no, I will. I will agree with you. I'd still give it to Sean Dyche, personally. Yeah. Reaching seventh with Burnley. Europe, Burnley! European tour. European tour. With, but, I mean, admittedly, you know, he's lucked into it by the fact that the way that it, the way it comes about by Man City winning the league and doesn't matter doesn't way, matter he's still got to get that team to 7th place in the top division in England my question I forget how the Europa League I think he goes into the third qualifying round so he's got the first quali- the, so two games four, so he's got four games before they even get to the group, group stage. stages yeah which is fair enough it's, be fun. it's fair going for them so, which basically takes out their pre-season Oh yeah, they won't. They won't have one. Yeah. I think we. I think we did the same when we went into Europe via the Fair Play League of those. I came yeah, with you to a match, didn't I? Into, yeah, against Crusaders. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have a preseason because we were playing uh, uh, something uh, Runjevic from Iceland. So stuff yeah. having stuff having preseason games, we've got them. Yeah, that's we've, it. We've got we've got six of them in the qualifying round. Yeah, and you've got to do it. No, that all credit. I, I I mean, I'm mostly joking about Darren Moore, but the the turnaround they've had and the the effort that they've put in, you know, we we all wrote off West Brom back in February to say, regardless of when they sack Alan Pardew, yep, they're, and they're, the f- they're gone. And the fact that they've got to game 37 and are still in with a shout, still in it. Is, and they're not the first team to have been relegated either. That still looks odd, though. Like because the way that Stoke Stoke are bottom. I know, but when yeah. but they weren't, 
and yep. when it, I don't, it's one of the so weird. So nineteenth and relegated, and West Brom were bottom, and it's the way that it looks on on tables and graphics. Yeah, I get that because but games played. I know yeah, it, I get it that. just looks odd. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, take your point. But yeah, fantastic. It's it's just staggering. Just my favourite thing about Darren Moore is not only is he proving himself to be uh, he he might be a um, impact manager. But from what he's doing, he's also just proving what an absolute fraud Adam Pardew is on the flip side as well. Not fraud. They did, he, didn't get, fraud. he didn't get them relegated. He's, he's really, really chipped in hard. If he hasn't got them relegated, then I am a Swedish blonde model. Uh, when he was, uh, If they were relegated, was he in charge when it happened? That's the bit that really, really pisses me off. It's like Rafa uh, Benitez got Newcastle relegated. Oh, yeah, apparently. Yeah, Steve McLaren didn't. No. But one team who has been relegated, and this is a good uh, jumping point, Stoke City finally ended their 10-year run in the Premier League. Um, how many... That is going to be a total rebuilding job because it's not like... I can't remember who we spoke about um, a couple of months ago when we went... I think it was I think it was Southampton. Don't have that many assets to get rid of that you can rebuild a squad. But you look at Stoke... Jack Butland's gone. That's probably twenty million. Would you say? Mm-hmm. If Jordan Pickford's worth thirty, Jack Butland is at least twenty. Yep. Joe Allen, there's probably at least fifteen million in there. Shakiri, that's probably another yep. fifteen. Mame Juf, I reckon can do a job. That's probably ten. There. Ryan Shawcross, I reckon he'll be you know to a lower level Premier League side like like a Newcastle, not lower level but lower half of the table know, like yeah, a Newcastle or an Everton or yeah. Leicester. There's money there to be gathered to rebuild the squad. How many of that squad do you reckon are going to survive? How many of them are going to be in the Premier League next year? James, I'll throw it over to you because you haven't talked in a while. How um, how many of that Stoke I, side are going to be valuable assets for them? Um, I'd say uh, the players you just mentioned. I think um, I think they might look to sell because the players themselves might have uh, clauses in their contracts and um, and they want to get back to the Premier League as. Uh, as soon as possible, but also as well, it's, it's their own thought, Stoke, for not sacking Hughes uh, early enough, uh-huh. and then appointing Paul Lambert as their That's as right. their manager when they went after That's managers right. that they couldn't get. They approached uh, Gary Rowett, and he said no, and they, they um, approached Martin O'Neill, and he also said no. So uh, I think their indecisiveness at board level has um, has led to their downfall. But they have done well to, to remain in the Premier League for 10 years. And that, you must also not forget, they also played in Europe. They played, uh, I think, at Valencia in the, um, yeah, I think it was the Europa League. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and they had a, a few uh, um, soirée into Europe. and uh, FA Cup so final as well. Yeah. So they'll, they'll remember that as well. Um, to, go back on your, to go back on the points you were discussing, um, uh, with Marcus's point about Frank de Boer, obviously... Uh, with him being a former Ajax manager, I'm convinced that his downfall at Crystal Palace was the fact that uh, he was asking his players to do stuff that they physically and mentally could not understand. Hence why he was uh, struggling to get the best out of them. And yes, I will agree about Burnley finishing seventh and that's wonderful and going on a European tour. But I remember when Southampton uh, qualified for Europe and they were drawn against Vitesse and Michielans from uh, Denmark. Um, as soon as the draw was made, people were saying, oh, that's them in the group stages, and it was actually Michielans who actually eliminated Southampton from Europe. 
So my um, my word of advice to Burnley is is that proceed with caution because I, I was listening to a podcast the other week where one of the so-called experts was already proclaiming that it's success for Burnley if they get out of the Europa League group stage. Well, they're not even nowhere near the group stage yet. And depending on, depending on the opponent, they may well not get there. So I think a lot, although it's a fantastic achievement, I think people are getting a little bit carried away in terms of what they could go on to achieve in Europe. Here's the thing. You say proceed with caution, though. I'd say for Burnley, go out and have fun. You're never going to do this again. Same with Leicester. If Ranieri, back in those times, had just gone out and said, stuff it, lads, enjoy it. I'm not going to defend. Just go for goal. We're not We're not going to play in the Champions League again. Just have fun. I wouldn't have blamed him. I won't blame Sean Dyche for playing 2-3-5 in every game. Just say, what? It's a laugh. We're not gonna. Sean Dyche will know better than anyone. Sean Dyche will, but in yeah, a sense, but, but in a sense, yeah. I'm not gonna like. If Burnley, you know, don't get to the group stage, I'm not gonna say, not gonna say, oh, it's a fail. I'll just say, yeah, well done, you gave it Fair a go. Enough. Regardless of what happens, come July, they will be, they will set out at Turf Moor and they will play their first European football match. No one, yeah, can, no, that, that, no one can take what, that away from them, regardless no, if they make the group stage or not. No, that's that's wonderful. I fully agree, Marcus. That's wonderful. But I just think, from from a, a, an expert's point of view, for a team that has to pre-qualify, who hasn't been in Europe for more than fifty years, against European teams that have very much improved, I think people are getting a little bit carried away in what they could achieve in Europe. Where, as Matt just says, they've got to enjoy themselves. But I, I just I just look from outside and think that the the the, the ignorance to think that you know if they can get out of the group stage when they've got to work extremely hard to get in it first and foremost um, I will be um, very intrigued as to who they play I mean it, it reminds me of uh, Pex Waller when they uh, qualified for Europe here in the Netherlands a couple of years ago for the very first time and the whole country was uh, was delighted for them but their European campaign only lasted 180 minutes as they were eliminated by the Czech, Czech side Sparta Prague and I, I worry, depending on the opponent who Burnley will face, maybe the same fate, fate will befall before them as well. Yeah, there is, there is to a certain, uh, certain extent, luck of the draw about it. You know, Fulham, when they, during our first round, during the qualifying round, which we, again, we were just happy to get through the qualifying round, we played oh, FK, oh, FK oh. Vetra from Lithuania and Ankar Perm from Russia. We got very lucky. Also, Matt, as well, Nak Breda, a couple of years ago when they qualified for Europe, they drew Villarreal from Spain, and they got absolutely torn apart. It was it was a Villarreal side with fantastic players who took it ext- extremely seriously. And I think in the first leg alone, they lost six one. Yeah. And um, I can't remember the, the the second leg. I think might have been four 0 actually as well. Mm. So it can have its uh, downside. Yes, it's wonderful, and it should be uh, should be enjoyed and should be. Uh, should be eulogised, but also if you're on the receiving end of a damaging defeat, it can be it can have uh, it can have um, consequences for the club as well. Indeed. Now, unless there's anything else you wanted, you any further points you want to discuss, Marcus? I'm off to Wembley on Wednesday. I'm pretty happy. Okay, no, you're I'm good. good. In which case, it's time uh, that part of the show where we parch. James, what do his touch? You don't! You're giving us away! It's, 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 this, it's this point of the show where we pass to the duchy on the left-hand side. I used that once and then never got around to using it, so I'm going to use it again. We pass to the duchy on the left-hand side and we ask James what's been happening in Holland this week. And it's round two, I believe is the correct term, of the, uh, the, the promotion slash relegation playoffs. Uh, 
Yeah, that's correct. Um, the final round of Eredivisie fixtures were completed this last weekend, where, uh, for example, we had results such as uh, Arda Den Haag winning in Kedekalada against the Olyese to book their place in the European playoffs. So that's uh, an opportunity for Arda Den Haag to play European football for the first time in a while. But the first round of the playoffs were, um, were completed last um, last weekend and a, a small miracle was performed by FC Dordrecht. They lost their first leg away to Camus uh, Leeuwarden uh, where they lost 4-1 and people were saying right that's the end of that because if Camus draw or win then they're through to the semi-final stage Dordrecht managed to turn it around where they won the game 4-1 also having been 1-0 down in the second leg to win the tie 5-3 on penalties and go through to the semi-finals where they face uh, Sparta Rotterdam who finished 17th in the Eredivisie so the semi-final lineup of the uh, promotion relegation playoffs is Emmen against NEC Nijmegen, Dordrecht against Sparta Rotterdam. The winners of both those ties will play off in one of the finals, and the winners of those two legged ties either remain in the Eredivisie next season or get promoted to it. And in the second uh, second semi-finals are Telstar from Eimelden. They will play the Graafschap. And Almeida City, who dispatched of MVV uh, Maastricht, will play at ODSA. And once again, the, the winners of those two respective sides face off in the final. And then whoever wins that those two-legged ties then uh, will, will either stay in the Eredivisie in the case of ODSA or my original tip, Almeida City, I expect them to be playing in the Eredivisie next season. So what's the... Uh, is there a sort of general form book for... Like, every year, is it always the teams that were in the Eredivisie to start with that always... I don't know, stay up or is it usually a mix and match or does every single year the teams that are in the second division always go up and the teams that are at the bottom of the area division always come down now how does it you know what's the sort of standard form in these sort um, of playoffs the standard in, the standard in recent years Matt is that the team in the area this year stayed up like for example with ODSA last season they were extremely lucky in their final round against MFA uh, Maastricht but we've, we've also had a couple of years ago where it was new ones coming up all the time and, and, and a bit of uh, a bit of uh, clubs yo-yoing but um, I think the, I think Almeida City I think it's their time they've got a tremendous uh, manager in uh, Jack De Gier who has been linked with the vacancy at Willem II in Tilburg. I actually interviewed him um, back in October 2016, and uh, it was a very interesting, um, very interesting interview. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's uh, a former striker for, for Dunfermline as well, so he's got a um, history in Scottish football. And I'm unsure as to what will happen between Nijmegen and Sparta Rotterdam. Dick uh, Advocaat, the former national team manager and manager of Glasgow Rangers and St. Petersburg, uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, he's managing Sparta Rotterdam. I'm, I, I think if it's the final round between NSA Nijmegen and Sparta, my preference would be... Um, I think Nijmegen would, would, would get promoted, but take nothing away from Dordrecht to go to lose the first leg 4-1 and to go down 1-0 in the second leg and turn that around to win the tie on penalties. Just, uh, I take my hat off to them, so they will give uh, Sparta Rotterdam a real good game and uh, the semi-final lineup will be very interesting indeed. Indeed, that's how the Dutch uh, promotion slash relegation playoffs are set for... 
Is it? The, I assume it's at the weekend they play, not like some random Thursday night or something. It's on the no, weekend. They, the, um, the first round, second legs took place last weekend, and the next um, set of games involve uh, Telstar and Emin against NSA Nijmegen. So they'll split over in the next couple of days. So the next uh, Man on the Post podcast, I can give uh, I can give listeners a, a, a real time update and uh, and let them know on Monday what the current status is. That's that excellent. Look for absolutely look forward to seeing that and seeing who's in the uh, who's closer to being in the Euro Division next year. Now, time for the terms and conditions. I've listened to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through. I, I'll, I'll do that again. I'll do it slowly. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or through the Acast app. Listen out for Man on the Post Extra Time every weekend with Chris, Ryan, Jesse and Justin. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Man on the Post. And you can find each of us on Twitter as well. I am Mattery63, M-A-T-T-R-H-Y-S-6-3. Marcus is on Twitter and he is... I'm Marcus Shearer1. And James is on Twitter and he is... At James Rowe NL. Excellent. And that leaves uh, all that's left for us to do now is say goodbye for, on a the glorious uh, British evening and the Dutch evening as well, I assume. So all that's left to, uh, for us to do is to say our goodbyes. It's goodbye from Marcus. Goodbye. It's a goodbye from James. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And always remember to have your man on the post. <laughs>